0: If you have your Bibles, if you have your iPhone or your plasma flat screen, (laughs) would you open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter three? I know that um, you've been going through the book of Hebrews. And so I'm going to kind of regress a little bit and go back to chapter three. I've entitled our short time together Standing Firm in a Dark World. And so with that in mind, would you bow your heads with me so we can pray. Ay, Señor. Necesitamos ayuda, Señor. We need help. We're living in a world, Lord, that for much of it, not all of it, much of it, it's turned its back on you. Many people in this world, this unsaved world, is bold and aggressive in their sin. They're not embarrassed or ashamed or bashful in what they believe. And yet, Lord, you've left us here as witnesses. You've left us here to be a light to this dark world. You've left us here to be the salt. Lord, I pray that as we spend these short minutes together... Father, that you, by your spirit, like the brother said, we want you to be the message tonight. Do that, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. on Hebrews chapter 3, I'm reading from the New International Version. It's a little bit easier to read for me. In verse 12, the writer says, "See to it, brothers and sisters, That none of you have a sinful and unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said today in este dia, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. I want to talk to you for a few minutes, just a short time together, about standing firm in a world that, for the biggest part, is pretty much against us, pretty much goes against what we believe biblically. Whether it's the mainstream social media, whether it's television, the movies, music, whatever it is, much of it, like I said, not all, not all, but much of it, is contradictory to what we happen to hold sacred in our hearts. And yet the Lord has left us here. He's left you. The Lord has left you on that job to be the light in that darkness. That's why you're married to that man. That's why you're married to that woman, that you would be a light to that darkness. That's why you live where you live. That's why you grew up where you grew up. Because there was a purpose for it. We're going to go back and look at verse 12 and 13, 14, and 15. But verse 12, let's begin with verse 12 and see what this author has to say to us. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. I don't know if you like to take notes. I don't know if you like to write down things. But I I wrote this down in verse 12. We should guard our hearts from worldly distractions. If we're going to make it, if we're going to stand firm in the midst of this opposition. You're going to have to be careful with the distractions that this world brings. There's glitz and glamour all around, everywhere, fighting for your attention. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 in verse 3, and he said this, I'm afraid. I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning... That your mind may be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and he says, I'm afraid that that things are catching your attention. There, There are things that are drawing you away from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. It doesn't have to be something pornographic or drug addiction. It can be something that you don't even consider a distraction. But here's what chapter 12, verse 1 says in the book of Hebrews. The writer says that you are to throw off, throw off from your life the things that hinder you. And the sin that so easily entangles you. See, if you're going to run this race, if you're going to be effective as a Christian man, a Christian woman, in the midst of this world that we are living in, you can't have things holding you back. Our youngest son, married now, we have three that are married and got their own kids and live in North Carolina and... One, our daughter lives in Broward County, Florida. But when my youngest son was a football player, and, and it's an amazing thing because we're Mexicans. I was born in Mexicali, Mexico, uh, a long time ago. And uh, my... Wow. Are you from Mexicali? Oh, okay. So anyway, my youngest son, Matthew... Um, Ended up being six feet tall. You know what that means for a Mexican? <laughs> He's like Goliath. And, 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 and 240 feet, he played football. He was an all-star. But one of the things that fascinated me as I would go out there and watch him practice was that there was this thing that they would put, uh, he would put on. It was a, a harness. And on the back of the harness was a small parachute that was about this big around. And the idea was that as he's running, the parachute opens up, and it's dragging him. And so he's having to force himself, and it's building up stamina and muscles and so on and so forth. But when I saw that for the first time, I thought, that's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Throw off the things that hinder you. What is it in your life? What is it in my life? that's not so much tripping you up because the verse goes on to say, throw off the things that hinder you and the sin that so easily entangles you. See, if I'm being hindered, I can still run the race. But if I'm all tangled up, it's over. So what is it in your life that's got you distracted? What is it that's fighting for your attention, taking you away from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ? You heard the name Demas in the Bible? How sad. How sad. Demas is found in three places in the Bible. In the book of Philemon and in the book of Colossians, this guy Demas, he's known as and he's uh, um, noted as a servant of God. He's a helper with the great apostle Paul. He's in ministry, man. He's focused. He's serving But then at the end, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, right before Paul is beheaded, he says this, Demas, because he loved the world, has deserted me. Demas, ¿Qué pasó, compadre? (laughs) What happened? You, You went from I'm a servant of the Lord, and I'm serving, and I'm ministering, and I'm co-laboring along with the Apostle Paul. And now I'm out there in the world. It doesn't start like a big blowout, does it? I don't think that the person that is going to turn on the Lord and backslide wakes up in the morning and says, You know, I got a good idea. I think I'll backslide today. No, it's like a slow leak. A little glamour over here. A little shiny thing over here. A little smile over here. A little visitation from an old friend over here. And before you know it, what happened? Folks, listen the Bible says over and over again that the end is near. We believe that Jesus could come back at any moment. We ought to be those kind of people that are faithful in our walk with the Lord, not being distracted, not finding ourselves being drawn away. I love the Apostle Paul. I love the focus of the Apostle Paul. I love the laser-like attention to the things of the Lord and his determination and no matter what's shining around him, and no matter what's glamoring and glitzing around him, that he is determined and focused. He writes in the book of Philippians chapter 3. He says, if someone thinks that they have reason to glory in the flesh, he says, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. I'm tribe, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, the elite tribe, from the Hebrew of Hebrews. As for the law, I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, I persecuted the church. As for righteousness, according to the law, I was faultless. But listen to what he says. But whatever was to my gain, I now consider a loss. What is more, I consider everything a loss. Because of the surpassing greatness of just knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost everything. I consider all these things like garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. This is a man that says, look, I, I, I had the world by the tail. I, I, I was a bag of Doritos and all that. I was somebody. Somebody. I was on top of the world. I studied under the Gamaliel, the greatest rabbi, graduated from, we would say, an Ivy school. He says, but Jesus came into my life. And in comparison to all of that, the surpassing greatness of just knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, all these other things that distracted me, he says, it's like garbage, compared to Jesus what what's caught your attention a relationship it was a long time ago that this one particular person came to me and said hey pastor would you pray for me because i started dating a guy <clears throat> she's a christian somebody in florida so don't nobody from here <laughs> started dating a guy And of course, being a preacher, what do you think my first question was? Cristiano? Is he a Christian? (laughs) And her response, she goes, basically. (laughs) Wait, what? What what does that mean? Well, he, he, he believes in God. And so here's this young lady that was Marching ahead and moving ahead spiritually and, and to begin to take a turn. What's got your attention? I, I, I don't want to step on anybody's toes, and I don't want to offend anybody. I'm leaving anyway, so what's the difference? <laughs> Facebook. Come on, man. Facebook. (laughs) Social media. How much time do we spend on that? And again, is it wrong? No, it's not wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong. But is it a distraction? It doesn't have to be something wicked and evil. It can be something that's distracting you on the inside. You're hurt. You got a bitter heart about something. Somebody... Betrayed you? Somebody abused you, and then you you can't let go of it. And it's a distraction. You're trying to worship the Lord, and that person's face comes into your mind, and oh, God. <laughs> what's got your attention? Do you know that? And and Chet will tell you. Chet will tell you. When we were working together at Calvary Fort Lauderdale, there was a time, there was a time that between the main campus and the nine other campuses, my, my wife and I and our three kids and another couple, we were part we started the church in 1985. Started the church in a funeral home. That was tough. <laughs> we had two people at the first service and the Lord chose to, over the course of time, Build it to a certain point where it was about 30,000 people that was coming to that church. The biggest church in the state of Florida. Number seven in the country. And do you know that that became a distraction to me? I was so busy. And and Chet will tell you. Sometimes a a meeting would start at six in the morning. Devotions. Are you kidding? I what devotion? I don't have time to spend time with God, but wait, hold on, hold on a second. I'm, I'm one of the main pastors, and I, I don't have time for God? How can that be? Because I allowed it to happen. The ministry became my identity. What's got your attention? If we're going to make a difference in this world, and if we're going to Stand firm in this dark world. We're going to have to start doing what Hebrews chapter 12 says. This, this, this thing is a, is a hindrance to me. It's not stopping me from running. I'm still a Christian. But I'm still involved with this over here. Wait, that, that, that ain't right. I, I, I need to decide. Choose you this day, Elijah said. Whom you're going to serve. If it's going to be the Lord, then serve the Lord. I I need to take that distraction off. Because that sin, that distraction, that parachute, it's it's hindering you. And then he goes on to say in verse 13. He says, see to it, first in verse 12, see to it that none of you has a sinful and unbelieving heart. That would cause you to turn away from the Lord. But then in verse 13 he says, but, but, encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. Watch now. So that none of you may be hardened by sins. What is it? What's the word? Deceitfulness. That none of you would be hardened By the deceitfulness of sin. How many of you would agree with me that sin is deceitful? Oh, man. We got the scars to prove it, don't we? Mm. I wrote this down, verse 13. Encouraging one another can help keep us from the deceitfulness of sin. If you're an encourager, we need you. We need you desperately. We need somebody that is going to be once again like the Apostle Paul. Because you're, you're in a storm. Listen, you're, you, all of us in this room today, we're, we're in one of three, three places. You're either in a storm, you know, problems and difficulties, uh, uh, or, or you, you just, you left one, you're in one, or you're about to head into one. Do me a favor. With the show of hands, how many of you here have a problem? You just, you have a problem. Raise your hand. You have a problem. Look around. Look around. Now, now listen. If you didn't raise your hand, one of two things. One of two things. You're either sleeping. Or you're on some real good medication, man. Who who doesn't have a problem? Who isn't facing a storm? Oh, it's Acts chapter 27. You got to read the whole chapter. It's crazy. The Apostle Paul is on this ship with 200 plus other guys. Now born in Mexico, but raised in Las Vegas, Nevada, desert. And I've been in Florida for 1985, 38 years, but I'm still more of a desert guy than I am a water guy. But but here's Paul in in a ship that is in a furious storm, a storm that is so bad, listen, a storm that is so bad that they fear that the ship Not the boat or the canoe, but the ship is going to break apart. I've never been in that kind of storm. But if you have experienced sailors that are beginning to throw the cargo overboard, trying to save the ship because the storm is so bad, and they're taking ropes and trying to uh, uh, rope the ship together, so that it doesn't fall apart. Can you imagine? You, you you've been in that storm. You got a teenager. You've probably been in that storm. Feels like it's falling apart. Tough marriage. That storm. Single. You're watching everybody around you get married. You feel left alone, feel left out. That storm. Get a doctor's report. Out of the blue, you find out that your primary says, you know, I I want you to go see this specialist. What? And you begin a serious storm. We're all in it or coming out of it, or going into it, every one of us. But Paul, in this storm, he's in the storm just like the 250 other men. But in the middle of this storm, in the middle of this storm, now, if the storm is that bad, I can imagine that Paul had a hard time just standing up. And he says to the guys, hey, guys, listen up. It's been 14 days since you've had anything to eat. He's been counting the days. It's been 14 days since you've had anything to eat. You need to eat so that you can gain some strength. Not one of you is going to lose a, head, a hair on your head. Everybody's going to be okay. So verbally, he encourages somebody else while he's in the storm. Every now and then, we need to look at our lives and go, yeah, my life is difficult. My life is painful. But my brother, my sister, they could use an encouraging word right now. It's not all about me. There's more to life than just my problems. Yeah, my problems are bad. I got a bad storm. But every now and then, you need to look outside and verbally, like Proverbs chapter 18 says, the power of... Of life and death is in the tongue. You can bring life to somebody by bringing an encouraging word. And Paul says, everything's going to be okay. No, nobody's going to be lost. It's all going to be okay. And in this storm, with the ship going back and forth, the Bible says that Paul sits down and he begins to eat. He not only verbalizes encouragement, but he says, watch, watch my life. In the middle of this storm, I got this doctor's report, and I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how the Lord is going to work this out, but it's going to be okay. God's going to work this out. I know that you got some, but listen, together, it's going to be fine. Let's work together on this. And as he sits down and he begins to eat, you know what the other people do? You know what the 250 other sailors do? They were encouraged, and they sat down and began to eat. Your life matters. Somebody needs some hope today. Somebody needs to hear that it's going to be okay. Even if you don't know how. Send that email. Send him a verse. Give him a hug. Tell him the Lord is with you. He told you. He'd be with you wherever you go. I don't don't know how God's going to work it out, but he knows you, he loves you, he's with you, and he's working everything out for your good. you know what that does to somebody? It's the book of Judges, chapter 20. The Benjamites cut down 22,000. Israelites on the battlefield on that day. But the men of Israel got together. After losing 22,000, they got together and they encouraged one another. And again, they took up position. And they stationed themselves where they had been on the first day. They, they, They saw death. They saw blood. They saw destruction. They saw defeat. And somebody said, hey, hey, come here. Sit down here for a second. I know it's bad. I know we just lost the battle. I know you're hurt. I know you're scared. I know that you've lost a family member, but our God is with us. Let's get back into the battle again. Let's join together and let's stand firm together and let's fight this battle together. And they went back into the battle. If you're an encourager, please, we need you. We need to hear from you. Did you notice that the second part of that verse, that it says, encourage one another so that no one would be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin, sin is pleasurable or it wouldn't be sin. Sin is enjoyable. If anybody tells you that it's not, they're lying to you. But listen to the, what uh, Hebrews chapter 11 says about Moses. When Moses, by faith, when Moses became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Rather, he chose to be mistreated with the people of God, listen now, than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of of sin. Oh, it's enjoyable, but it's like grabbing a snake by the tail. It's going to come back and get you. If you are right now at this point in your life, if you are if you are involved in something that you're keeping hidden because in your heart you know it's not pleasing to the Lord. And nothing's happened. Nobody knows. Nobody's aware. Behind closed doors. You do it when you're alone. Whatever, whatever it is. Can I say to you, it's going to come out. It's going to come out. Hebrews chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 5 says there's nothing that is hidden that will not become laid and, um, and bare before the Lord, before the eyes of him, to whom we must give an account. It's going to come out. Sin, sin is deceitful. It's deceitful. Sin will take you farther than what you plan to go. Sin will cost you more than you plan to spend. And sin will keep you bound longer than you want. Sin is deceitful. We got any fishermen, fisherwomen in the crowd tonight? Like to fish? Yeah, I don't so much like to fish. I like to catch fish, but, 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 but I, being in the boat, rocking back and forth, it, it doesn't work for me. It, it just. But I, I asked um, uh, Adonis to give me a. If I if I if I miss uh, label something, please forgive me because I'm not. But if I think this little thing right here is called a lure, I think. And what the fisherman, the fisher person does, is that they throw this lure into the water. In an attempt to do what? To lure the fish. Now, when the fisherman throws it into the water, he's lying. Do you know Why? Because he's throwing this into the water, and he's telling the fish, I care for you. I know you're hungry. And I don't want you to go hungry, so I'm going to give you some food. Out of the benevolence of my heart, I'm going to give you some food. And so he puts a dead worm on it, or something plastic. And the fish, looking up through the water, looks at the fisherman and he says, he cares for me. <laughs> he seems like a nice guy. <laughs> so, <laughs> he, he goes. And what happens? He, the fish, believing the lie, believing the lie that, that the fisherman cares for him, will bite into the hook. And if I'm not mistaken, the fisherman will then set the hook. It's God. Believe the lie. Fishermen don't care for you. He's lying to you. He's luring you. Sin is deceitful. The Bible says in the book of 2 Corinthians that we should not be unaware of the schemes of the enemy. He's a schemer. He knows what you're interested in. He knows how you lean. He knows what, what interests you, what you're about. And he will play that card and lead, lead you into that direction And the whole time, it just seems like something that is good. And before you know it, you're caught. You're snagged. You're tangled up. Don't let that happen. Because you were left here on a mission, folks. Did you notice, did you notice that when you gave your life to Jesus, bam, he didn't rapture you up into the heavens. Did you notice that? Did you notice that he still left you here? Do you think that that was an accident? He left you here on a purpose. You're here on a divine mission. Listen, whatever you do for a living, let's say, for example, let's say, for example, You're a carpenter. You're a carpenter. Okay. Can I help you understand something? If you're going to stand firm in this dark world, then what you have to do is that you have to change how you define yourself. You cannot say, I'm a carpenter that happens to be a Christian. No, no, see, that's backwards. No, no, see, that, that's, that's out of whack. That's out of, uh, uh, it, it's totally wrong, because if, if you're a carpenter first, and, and you wake up in the morning, you know what the first thing that comes to your mind? I got to go to work. I hate my job. The guys that, that I work with, a bunch of animals. The traffic, I, you know, the traffic. Oh, The traffic. The benefits, when am I ever going to get a raise? See, that's, that's the person that woke up and said, I'm a carpenter. But the person that wakes up, and, and it can be whatever, a nurse. I'm a nurse that happens to be a Christian. No, 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 mira, mira. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian that happens to be a carpenter. I'm a Christian that happens to be a nurse. This person, this person that has that focus, when they wake up in the morning, they ain't going to work. You know where they're going? They wake up in the morning going, I'm going on a missions trip today. Because what's a missions trip? Going somewhere where there's a bunch of unsaved people. Well, isn't that your job? Isn't that where you work? The reason you complain about your job, the reason you don't like the people is because you have flip-flopped those around and you're an employee that just happens to be a Christian. So when you go to work and you're a Christian before you are an employee, you go to work and those people that you work with, you love them through Jesus. And you see them through the eyes of heaven. And you know what you see? You know what you see? You see a bunch of lost people that are on their way to hell without Jesus. Not somebody that's just, ah, they're just so filthy. They're so dirty. I can't stand. They're always talking about nasty things. Did you forget that's the way you used to be? Sin is a lie. And one of the things that sin does is it wants to turn that around and have you forget that you're here on a divine mission. He left you here. God told Jeremiah in chapter 1 in verses 3, 4, and 5, he said, before you were born, I had already ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. I knew you before you were even born. Before you were born, folks, God had already called you to be his child. And God said, on this day, you're going to work here because I need you to be a witness to this person. Uh, Before you were born, he said, I want you to live in this place right here because that neighbor of yours that has a dog that barks all the way till three o'clock in the morning and you hate them. I'm putting you there so that you can love that person in a way that nobody else has ever loved them. But sin distorts that. In verse 14, if we're going to make it, the writer to Hebrews says, we have come to share in Christ, watch now, "if, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. We are going to share in Christ if we hold our conviction, hold our conviction firmly to the very end. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7, and he says this to Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And then listen to what he says, and I've kept the faith. The writer to Hebrews here says, hold on to your conviction firmly to the very end because you work with, you live next door to. We live in a world that wants to rip the faith right out of you, ridicule you, persecute you, shoot you down, make fun of you, call you names because you happen to disagree with this issue. You don't agree with that issue. You believe that uh, uh, this is biblically true, and they shoot you down. Nobody wants to be the odd man out. I don't want to be looked upon as somebody that's strange or weird. So I will have the tendency then to compromise. I'll just keep it a little low. Hebrews right here says, we will share with Christ, if uh, hold our original conviction firmly. Paul was the kind of a man, and again, I know that I'm talking a lot about Paul, but, but when he said, I've kept the faith, I can look at his life and I can go, you kept the faith in spite of that Read through 2 Corinthians chapter 11 once again, and here's what you find out about the Apostle Paul. As he's writing about his life, he says this, I've been in prison more than any one of you. I've been flogged. I've been at the edge of death. Five times the Jews gave me the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with a rod. One time I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. And that was on a good week. <laughs> and he kept the faith. Every now and then, folks, listen to me. Every now and then, you've got to tighten up your spiritual belt and go, I don't feel like it, but it's right. I don't, I don't feel holy, I don't feel righteous, I don't feel loved, I don't feel forgiven, but is it biblically true? Yes, it is. Then, then I believe it. Every now and then, if we're going to, I, I, I wrote this down, listen, we need to stand firm in the face of opposition. Amen. Hebrews tells us right here, we have come to share in Christ, if indeed We hold our original conviction firmly. People want to rip it out of you. People want to condemn you. People want to have you think that you're some kind of bigot because you believe the Bible to be God's inerrant word. People want to make you think that you're some kind of fanatic because you believe that marriage should be between a man and a woman. People want, people want to have you think that you've lost your mind because you don't think it's right. that An eight-year-old boy ought to have the right to determine whether they're called a boy or a girl. And you have that conviction, and when somebody starts coming down upon you, hey, listen, uh, I'm sorry. 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 I didn't mean to upset you. We will share with Christ if we hold on to our original conviction firmly to the very end. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Don't let anything move you, but give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your work for the Lord is not in vain. Don't let anything move you, Why would Paul write that? Because there's dozens of things that want to move me. There's things that want to pull me out of the race. There's emotions that want to pull me out of the race. There's fear. There's doubt that wants to pull me out of the race. And Paul says, stand firm. Don't let anything move you. But give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. The determination to hold firmly. It's a decision. Sometimes, I got to tell you, true biblical Christianity, not for the weak. Not for the weak. Because every now and then, man, you got to come up to the the problem, the challenge, the difficulty. And you have to face it. And you have to look at it and go, I'm not backing down. I'm not going to go backwards. Because my God is not pleased with those that shrink back. We're going to hold on to our conviction. Yes, I believe that. And I believe that this is biblically right. And I'm going to hold on to that. And, that, and not being afraid to count the cost. <laughs> it's the Apostle Paul. He's in uh, Ephesus in Acts chapter 20. And he's in Ephesus and he gathers the Ephesian elders together. And, and he gets the church leaders together there and And he says to them, and now, compelled by the Holy Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. And I don't know what waits for me there. All I know is that the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are waiting for me. Now, how would you like to get that from the Holy Spirit? (laughs) Every time I read that, I think, hmm. How would that sound? Because the next verse, he he says, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are waiting for me. However, he says, my life means nothing to me except to finish the race and complete the task for which the Lord Lord has called me. And I thought, you know, if I wrote that, it would probably be different. (laughs) If I was writing that, it would say this. I'm going to Jerusalem, and I don't know what waits for me there, but the Holy Spirit is warning me that prison and hardship are waiting for me. Hmm. So I ain't going. Come on, you know you'd say the same. You'd say the same. Uh, Barnabas, you go. You go. You go. But that determination to hold on, to hold on to the conviction. You see, my life means nothing to me, Paul said. The only reason I live, the only reason I breathe, the only reason I go to sleep at night and wake up in the morning is to uh, finish the race and complete the task for which the Lord has called me. My life means nothing to me. If 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 we're going to stand firm in this dark world, there has to be an understanding that there's something that is greater that is waiting for us. In Hebrews chapter eleven, Moses chose to be mistreated with the people of God. He regarded he, he regarded uh, uh, persecution uh, for the sake of Christ as of greater value than all of the treasures. Of Egypt, why? Because he was looking forward. He was looking forward to his reward. Listen, the things that you're going through here now, in the book of Romans chapter 8, verse 18, the Bible says that this this present time, uh, the troubles we're faced, don't compare with the glory that is to be revealed one day. You're going to heaven. Do you understand that? Yeah, it's tough now. It's tough now, but you're going to heaven. Did you forget that? It was years ago when our kids were small, living in Fort Lauderdale. We're going to go to Disney World. All right, guys. Gabriel, Andrea, Matthew. Sit them down. Hey, I uh, got a surprise for you. We're going to Disney World. Yay! Yay! Everybody's happy. Everybody's cheerful. Everybody's loving each other. The kids are hugging each other, being nice to one another, high-fiving, celebrating. <clears throat> we get in the station wagon we're headed on the way to Disney World everybody's celebrating everybody's happy for about the first five minutes after a few minutes in the station wagon he hit me she pulled my hair I want to get out us happened what happened I pull over to the rest stop Sit down. What's wrong? Did you forget something? Did you forget our destination? Did you forget we're going to Disney World? Did you forget I'm paying $1,000 per person (laughs) to get into Disney World? And I'm watching them, and I'm watching them. Their eyes are getting big. Wait, we're going to Disney. That's right. Folks, you're going to heaven. Amen. You're going to heaven. <laughs> Lift your head up at work, man. When you're driving up on the 405, or five, we drove on the four or five. Oh man, what the oh, you can become a person of prayer when you're driving on that hurry. When you're driving on the freeways and you're not going nowhere, listen, you're going to heaven. You can endure. Heaven can't just be a destination. It's got to be an inspiration. I'm going to heaven in spite of this. I'm going to hold firmly to my conviction to the very end because I know that I'm looking for my reward to come in the future. The last verse, let's look at this verse 15. As has just been said today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Let me leave you with this. We should keep our hearts tender and pliable before the Lord. Amen. You've been hurt. Mm. Husband left you. A teenager just now walking with the Lord. You prayed. You prayed. Lord, touch my son. Lord, hear my marriage. Lord, bring back my prodigal. Lord, please, don't let me lose my job, please. And he answered, your prayers, but not in a way that you were hoping. That's it, that's it. If that's how you're going to treat me, if that's what you're, forget it then. Like a spoiled child that didn't get his way. He knows you. He loves you. He's with you. And he's working everything out for your good. Don't harden your heart. Let me leave you with this. It's Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas come into the city of Philippi. And there's a young girl that's demon possessed. And Paul has finally had it. And he stops and he turns and, and uh, by miraculously the Lord uses him to bring healing to this young lady and she's delivered from her demonic possessions and you would think, hey, great, thank you so much. But see, the Bible says that there was people that owned this lady, this girl, and they used to make money off of her because she could foretell the future. And because she's now been delivered and doesn't have that demonic possession she can't do that. And so now these people that owned her, they hate Paul and Silas. And so they they drag, they strip them naked. And they drag them through the city. And they bring them before the market. And they are accusing them. They're accusing them wrongly, unjustly. They're slandering them. They're standing there embarrassed, humiliated. For what? They did something right. They did a good thing, and finally they, they, they get uh, the whips, and they, they flog both of them, and they take sticks, and they're beating them with sticks, and they take their fists, and they're pummeling them with their fist. You talk about somebody that had all of Who would blame these guys for having a hard heart? Who would blame them? I see Paul silence. I see why you're angry at God because, look, this, this was unfair. This wasn't called for. They throw him into a pit. They put him in stocks. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Paul and Silas with their beards covered with dirt and mud and blood and swollen eyes from being beat up and treated unjustly and unfairly broken bones. Here's Paul in stocks. Here's Silas in stocks. And Paul, there in the book of Acts in chapter 16, at midnight, at the darkest time of the day, looks over at Silas and he says, hey, want to sing a song? What? Are you loco? Don't you see what just happened to us? Yeah, I see what's happened. But God is still good. But God is still worthy. Listen, God is still on the throne, and he ain't taking application. He ain't taking application. And so because of that, because they didn't harden their heart, what was the result? As they're worshiping the Lord, the prison doors open up. Doors open because they worshiped during a difficult time. They didn't harden their heart And the jailer gets saved. They go home and the Mrs. Jailer gets saved. And the little jailers, they get saved. And one day, listen, one day we're going to go to heaven. And we're going to meet all this jailer family. And you know what that guy's going to say? The reason that I'm in heaven today is because two men didn't harden their heart when they were suffering. That's why I'm in heaven today. Number one, guard your heart from unnecessarily worldly distractions. Guard your heart. Number two, be an encourager. We need you desperately. Number three, stand firm in your biblical convictions. No compromise. The last one, keep your heart tender before the Lord. Amen? Amen. Father, we come before you and we thank you. Lord, you gave us a word that you wanted to challenge us, to change us. And so I pray for this body, Lord, that this body would be that light in their home, in their job, here amongst the brothers and sisters, that they would use their tongue to edify, to exhort, to lift up, to encourage Lord, there might be one person here tonight that does not yet know you. We pray for them. We pray, Lord, that as they have sat under the worship and the teaching of your word, Lord, that that heart was touched. I know that your word tells us that it's your will that all people come to a saving knowledge. And Lord, lastly, for my brother and my sister that is here that needed encouragement, Lord, may you strengthen their heart that they can continue to stand firm in this very dark world we love you help us and fill us lord that we might represent you in a way that honors you we pray in jesus name thanks for listening and we hope you were encouraged by today's message if you have any questions or just want to check us out make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org god bless you guys and we'll see you next week